there are messages that are given that create excitement because you know that it will be received well. And there are messages that are a little more difficult because it challenges us to sometimes stop from being immobile to being unstoppable. Today is one of those messages. You see, Jesus has set his face towards Jerusalem. And as he gets nearer, he's been telling his disciples what faces him in Jerusalem. But instead, two of them sought power and position, and the rest were offended by that. He gave them teaching on if they wanted to be promoted in the kingdom, how to do so. He also healed a couple of blind men. One was named the son of Emmaus. And then he brought salvation to a child, to a son of Abraham. And as he's going towards Jerusalem, and he's some about 20 miles or so away, he understands that the disciples, just as then and now, often misunderstand his teaching because they have their own agenda. And so they're assuming that he, correctly, that he is the Messiah. And they're going to assume that the kingdom is being brought in presently. And he's going to teach them, and they're going to not necessarily hear. He's also going to teach them what they're to do in the meantime. And this is where we particularly need to pay attention to his teaching. Uh, many years ago, and um, I'm not too sure if they it still doesn't happen. I know um, many years ago, credit cards were not as ubiquitous as they are today. And so people would go to various department stores for ahead of Christmas because they couldn't afford all the gifts. And so they put things on layaway. And so if you don't know what layaway is, it tells you you're pretty young. But they would put things on layaway, and then they would make payments. And then when they paid everything off, they could then take what they had set aside home for gifts. The advantage of the layaway was twofold. One, you were guaranteed to have the thing because they laid it away, and it gave you time to pay for it. Now we just pull out a plastic card and don't worry about the exorbitant interest and all the others. Unfortunately, too many Christians have the idea that God has saved them and put them on layaway. That one of these days, Jesus is coming back, and when he comes back, he'll take me off the shelf, and I'll get to be with him. Jesus is going to tell us and teach us that there is something in between our salvation and his return that we're responsible for and that we're held, and here's that nasty word, 
accountable. And so, in um, Luke chapter 19, starting with verse 11, it says this, And while they were listening to these things, Jesus went on to tell them a parable, because he was near Jerusalem, and they supposed that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. And so he's going to have to teach them this parable. Now the interesting thing about this parable, a lot of times uh, he teaches parables, and they're interesting stories in the sense of um, they have spiritual truths, but they're generally, if you will, uh, non they're, they're fiction. They're just a story. But it's a story to highlight a spiritual truth. Now in this particular parable, they're going to see some reality in real life. For you see, because Rome was in charge, when there was going to be a ruler of that area who wanted to be king or tetriarch or whatever, that that person would go to Rome and get the authority to act as the king of that area, get Rome's approval, and come back and be king. Now they're going to particularly be aware of this because Herod, the great son, Herod, kind of did the same thing, except he didn't get a kingship. He only got a tetrarch. He only got a portion of it. And a lot of people didn't like Herod. So this parable is going to seem like it has current events as they talk it. And so he says, so he said, a nobleman went to a distant country to receive a kingdom for himself and then returned. And he called ten of his slaves and gave them ten minutes and said to them, do business with this until I come back. Now I know most of us, including me and before this message, had no clue what a minnow was. And I'm going to tell you, and you're still going to have no clue what a minnow is. A minnow equals 60 shekels. 60 minnow equals a talent. Now you all know what it's all about, right? You know exactly how much money he's giving him. Okay, I'll give you, uh, and I think uh, the King James kind of almost is right. It's, it's equivalent of a, basically a pound of money, a, a pound of, of silver or whatever the exchange is. And in that circumstance, it's, it's worth about 100 days of, of salary. So he's not giving them a substantial sum, but he's not giving them insubstantial. He's giving them a reasonable, but it's a, it's a small amount in the, in the things. And he takes 10 of his slaves. Okay, these are not people who are a part of the nobleman's family. It's not people who are voluntarily servants. They are owned by the nobleman. And so he gives them this sum of money to tell them that they are to do business. So they are to use it to develop a profit. Oh my goodness. To develop a profit while the nobleman is gone. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. Again, similar to a, a current event. 
There were people who weren't too wild about Herod's son becoming king, and so they sent a delegation. But at the same time, Jesus is in his parable saying, there are people in Israel who do not want me to be the Messiah. They do not want me to be king. And they are trying to do everything they can to prevent me from being given the title king in this land. And when we returned after receiving the kingdom, though the delegation was not successful, he ordered that these slaves to whom he had given the money be called to him so that he might know what business they had done. So they were called, okay, to render an accounting. I gave you a minna. Gave you a hundred days wages. What did you do with it? And the first appeared saying, Master, your minna has made ten minas more. He has ten times created more wealth for the master. He's gone from, if you will, a hundred days to a thousand days. He has been very effective in his business dealing. He was a good entrepreneur, if you will. And he, being the nobleman, said to him, Well done, good slave. Because you have been faithful in a very little thing, you are to be in authority over ten cities. Now you've got to remember, in this parable, which is, spiritual truth, Jesus has come back as king of the kingdom. And in that kingdom, he's saying, because you are faithful in a small sum of money, I am going to give you authority to rule and reign over ten cities. That's a substantial increase in responsibility. Because you have been faithful in a very little thing. Jesus takes seriously this little faith in little things. The second king, saying, Your minute, Master, has made five minutes more. Now notice again, each of these slaves so far has said, It's your minute. It's not Look what I did with this, my stuff. It's you gave me your minna. It's your minna. My job was to increase it. And therefore, this is what I've done. Now, this servant didn't do quite as well. He did half as well, if you will. He only did five minutes. And he said to him also, you are to be over five. So, that which he was able to increase, he received an appropriate authority over. Ten minutes, ten cities. Five minutes, five cities. So far, the accounting is going pretty well. And the master is pleased. Verse 20, another came saying, Master, here is your minna, which I put away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you, because you are an exacting man, and you take up what you did not lay down, 
and reap what you did not sow. Now I want you to notice the first two acknowledge that it was the master's minna, but work for the master despite their thinking of him. This one was fearful of who he was. And so he said, I'm afraid. I'm afraid that if I'd have lost a minute, you would have really taken it out of me. So I just made it, I hid it so you'd have it back. Which was not what the master told him. He said, do business with it. But he was afraid. And he said to him, by your own words I will judge. One of the reasons not to be judgmental is because we get back from the Lord that which we do. And God's saying, this is how you viewed me. So this is how I will judge you. The others worked hard for me. You simply feared me. And a lot of believers don't really understand exactly who God is. So we spend all of our time convincing ourselves how much God loves us. But when the first difficult thing happens, we think, well, why is God mad at me? As opposed to maybe it was just a difficult thing. Maybe it rains on the just and the unjust. Maybe it has nothing to do with who you are. You don't really understand who God is. And so this one saying, you gave me one, I give you back one, or even, because you're a hard person. So he says, by your own words you will be judged. You worthless. There's no well done. There's no good. You too are a worthless. Did you know that I am an exacting man, taking up which I did not lay down, and reaping what I did not sow? Then why did you not put my money in the bank, and having come, I would have collected it with interest? How come you didn't do something with it? Okay, you could have put it in a safe place, in a bank where they would have given you interest, and I would have had at least some income based on it. Instead, you're simply giving me back what I already had. Then he said to the bystanders, take the minnow away from him and give it to the one who has the ten minutes. So now the person has eleven minutes, plus he's going to be ruling over ten And they said to him, Master, he has ten minutes already. Wait a minute, he's already doing well. Why, why are you giving him more? And I tell you that to everyone who has, more shall be given. But from the one who does, does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. Now he doesn't go through the rest of the seven Slaves who have received, but he gives us an overview. One does exceptionally well, 
One does pretty well, and one doesn't do anything. And so somewhere in that scheme of things, these other seven do. But he makes the point that if you do not invest what God gives you, what he gave you will be taken away and given to another. Now, what he is teaching us here is accountability. I'm going to go to the next step and then we're going to come back to this accountability. He's going to change his view from his ten slaves to the others. Verse 27, But these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slay them in my presence. This is Jesus talking. This is mild, milk toast. Wouldn't want to do anything harsh to anyone, Jesus. You know, everyone who has this thing that, that Jesus is so meek and mild and just whatever. He's saying, Those enemies of mine, not only are they worthy of death, I want to see them die. Bring them in front of me and slay them. You see, you're either for Jesus or you're against him. There is no neutrality with comes to Jesus. You either serve him or you're opposed to him. One or the other. In our current culture, it's a binary choice. Yes or no. There's no major. There's no kind of. The slaves, even those who didn't do what they were supposed to do, weren't in the same position as those who opposed the Lord. They may have been considered worthless. They weren't guilty of death. So, lay away. When God calls us, He does not call us to be on layaway until Jesus returns. He has given us something of value to invest for Him. I don't know what that is in your life. Not for me to care. Between you and the Lord, what He gave you. He may have given you some talent, some ability, some exceptional thing that you do. It may be an investment. It may be in ministry. It may be in singing. It may be in teaching. It may be in cutting through all the noise and getting to the point of something. And some of you may say, well, you know, I can't think of a single thing God has given me. I'm going to give you at least one simple thing that God has given you. Ready? I want you to do this. Breathe in. Breathe out. That was the gift of God. That is not yours. You can take your hand to the left side of your heart and feel it beating. That is the gift of God. That is not yours. So if God has given you no talent whatsoever, He's given you no ability at all, as long as you're breathing 
and your heart is beating, He has given you something. And He is going to hold you accountable for those breaths. He's going to hold you accountable for those heartbeats. And it's not going to be good enough to say, well, you know, God, I knew you were kind of tough. So I decided, and you said you were coming back. And I was hoping it would be soon. You know, I, I heard all the teaching that you're coming soon. It's going to be immediate. Can't wait for the rapture. So I'm going to sit here on the shelf and lay away until you come. And God's going to say, you worthless. Why didn't you at least invest what I gave you to earn interest? See, this is uncomfortable. Because we much rather hear about how Jesus loves us than he does. And how he will never leave us nor forsake us. And he won't. And we love to say that he is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the Holy Living God. And he is. But he will hold us accountable in his kingdom. And in case you think, well, this is a principle and, and maybe Jesus is just being a little harsh. Paul understood it very well. And so if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse, starting with verse 6. Therefore, always, I'm sorry, therefore, being always of good courage. Now notice what it said. It didn't say, on occasion, be of good courage. He didn't say when circumstances are really good, be of good courage. He said, always be of good courage. And knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. When I'm here, I ain't there. Kind of simple. And when I'm there, I won't be here. For we walk by faith and not by sight. Now, I don't know who has convinced you, and it's usually people who think they're really bright. They think faith means those things that you don't understand. That is not faith. Faith is, God said this, therefore I now understand. And I live my life accordingly. It's not, I walk around blind. I walk around in the knowledge of what God has told me. That's faith. It's not making up things that I don't know. It's responding to what God says. So we walk by what God says and not by sight. We are of good courage. I say and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Now, for those of us who have been around a while, we really agree with this. Now, if you're a teenager, I know you want to get married and you want to have your wonderful life and everything. And I'm going to tell you that when that happens, you've had your children and they've raised them and everything is wonderful and you've gone through all of that, you will look back and say, I should have taken the deal and had him come now. But it's common. I, you know, I was kind of the same way. It's like, and, and um, I was even kind of worse because 
I grew up with the idea, and I don't think it was me alone, I think it's what I was hearing, heaven just sounded boring. And all you hear is angels playing harp, and I'd had trouble enough trying to play a guitar. Just who wants to play a harp? Sitting on a cloud with wings, just boring. Until you know who God is. And when you know who God is, you go, count me in. It's kind of the opposite of the joke about the evangelist preaching and there's an old guy sitting in the back and he's going, how many want to go to heaven? And everybody but this old man raises their hand. So he goes, well, maybe he's old, he didn't hear me. So he goes, how many want to go to heaven? And everybody but the old man raises their hand. So he gets closer to the guy. He walks out and he goes, looks right at him. He goes, how many want to go to heaven? Everybody but the guy raises his hand. He goes, sir, don't you want to go to heaven? He goes, yes, but not now. We are kind of now at the opposite. How many want to go to heaven? Right now, right now, right now. Because to be absent from the body is to be present with him. Therefore, we are also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to Him. What's your ambition? What is it that you desire? Is it that you desire your 401k to be larger? Or do you desire to know Him better? Do you desire to be more famous or infamous? doesn't matter just as long as you're one of those. Or do you want to be pleasing to Him? What is your ambition? So we have our ambition, whether at home or at be pleasing Him. For we must, there's that word, must. It's not optional. It's not for some. It's not kind of a maybe. For we must all. Okay. The Greek for all is all. It means everyone. No exception. For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Just as these three that were represented who brought their investments back, their business back and said, you gave me one, I got now ten. You gave me one, I get now five. You gave me one, here's your one back. We all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. We all have to render an accounting. I don't like this. I like the idea that Jesus loves me and has a wonderful plan for my life. So that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Now, I try to make this very real. And so you and my and the congregation know when I say that I believe this so seriously that I tell you that I'm convinced that I get a 7-Eleven in Bakersfield. So one guy gets 10 cities. I get a... grocery store. Not even a grocery store. Kind of a 7-Eleven. Just something to get some milk and whatever. I'm convinced that my wife will get Malibu or something like that because she's had to put up with me. 
And she's had to put up with me in joy and in support, even when she's going, why don't we just check out? So I'm convinced she's taken what God has given her and it's less than a minute. It's me. And she's going, here he's back. You get Malibu, Ventura, San Diego. I'll leave out of LA because there's all kinds of problems there. What if I'm saying is real? What if I'm saying that this is actually true? That we will at some time show up in front of the Bema seat. That's not the one that says you're guilty of things. That's the great white throne. From that, you go to hell. From this, you are rewarded, you are recompensed for what you have done, good or bad. Paul later tells us that some of the things that we do will be rewarded because our service has been gold or silver or precious stones. Or it could be wood, hay, and stubble which will be burned up. The good versus the bad. But he says that even though we suffer loss, we will still be in His presence. This isn't about whether you make it to heaven or not. It's about what you have done with what God has given you. Now the amazing thing here is that the minna was the Lord. Whatever He gives you or me is of the Lord. Which means whatever we accomplish is because the Lord gave it to us. Whatever abilities we do is because He gave it to us. There's a second aspect to it. Notice it said we'll be recompensed. There are going to be a lot of believers in heaven standing in line waiting for their turn at the Bema seat who think God is going to be really impressed with them because they were pastors of mega churches and they wrote songs that were, were on the top charts and, and were gold and platinum albums and people just marveled at their musical ability to both sing and play instruments and to write music. And if all of those people did it to receive honor, then they got what it was they wanted. If you come as a pastor or a teacher and say, I want everybody to love what I have to say, and everybody loves what you have to say and tells you, and that's why you did it, you're going to show up here and you go, you could at least stuck it in the bank. You didn't take what I gave you. You used what I gave you for your own benefit. And yet there will be others that no one has ever heard of who couldn't hold a pitch if you gave it to them in a bucket. And yet they probably sang with such love, adoration to the Lord. There will be those who are missionaries that no one has ever heard of. 
who no one ever gave their lives because of their ministry. And yet God will say, well done. Because they served for His kingdom, for His glory, and for His purposes, and not their own. So brother and sister, as I point the one finger there, I point three back at me. We are to be accountable. So if you are on layaway, get off the ship. If you have been serving Him, redouble your efforts. Find other ways to make investments in the kingdom. If you sing like an angel, and I don't know how an angel sings, the reason I don't know how an angel sings because most of the scripture says, and the angels say. It never says angel sing. Just a little side note. <laughs> so we have all these things. So if you sing like an angel, figure out how else God can use you to further his kingdom. Keep figuring out how to expand the kingdom of God. And he's saying here, my kingdom, my property, I give it to you to use. You'll be accountable. And can you imagine if I and you actually took this message seriously when we come to this Bema seat? He said, well done, good and faithful. You were faithful in a few things. Go rule and reign with me over many cities. And I'll die.